All right, everybody, and welcome to another episode of This Week in Hearing. I'm excited for today's chat with Andy Bellavia and Jonathan Russo. Um, we're going to be talking a lot about chip technology, innovation happening um, on that front, and some of the different use cases that this is going to begin to open up here in the world of hearing healthcare. So let's start with some introductions. Um, John, why don't you share a little bit about who you are and what you do? Sure. Yeah, thanks, Dave. Uh, so my name is John. I'm working at a, an early stage, recently Series A funded startup called Femtosense, located in South San Francisco. And we're all about bringing sort of more efficient, uh, smaller form factor edge AI um, to consumer devices, medical devices, um, and predominantly in the speech and audio space. Fantastic. And Andy, welcome back to the show. Uh, first time I think that you've been on since your, your new gig. So do you want to share a little bit about the new gig and, and what you're doing now? Yes, it is actually. You know, I had been so used to the pattern that comes with working at Moles, <laughs> I had to rethink the whole thing. Uh, this, this is the first time under my new role as founder of Aura Futurity. Really the goal being to help innovators in the hearable and the hearing health space move the needle on what I think of as being the global pandemic of hearing loss uh, through go-to-market and branding consultancy. So appreciate you having me on again. Absolutely. Okay, cool. So yeah, let's frame the conversation today. Um, John, I know you approached me. Um, you have a really cool company and the technology that you all are creating over there. And so why don't we just kind of kick things off by you giving a high level, like in a nutshell, what it is that you think your company can help to solve, you know, here within the hearing healthcare space? Yeah, totally. Um, so as an approach to bringing AI to these consumer devices, um, predominantly speech and audio, uh, we decided to take a two-prong approach. One is create some custom silicon that'll run AI algorithms much, much more efficiently than anything that's out there. And that boils down to a few technical points. But then we also build the algorithms themselves, which are sort of like fine-tuned and optimized to run on our hardware. Um, and by doing both of those, you get you know, 100x gains in terms of energy efficiency over what's currently available today. Uh, and you get 10 times the amount of ML power, I guess, if you will, in a small form factor, because um, you have limited memory size, right? And so we adapt these algorithms and we have this hardware. Um, and we really wanted to sort of like go out and say, all right, well, we have this enabling technology, like what problems can we sort of solve out in the world? You know, we don't just want to stick ML in every single product that we possibly can and not add any value. So um, it, it took a long time for us to dive in and identify the, the problems that were worth solving. And the number one uh, problem that we identified that uh, has, has a real big need is solving that speech and noise problem for people who are hard of hearing, or they're uh, either hearables wearers or they're medical grade ear uh, earpiece hearing aid wearers. So um, we wanted to sort of target that application and give people better speech understanding in the presence of noise. And that was sort of the motivation behind going down this whole path of, uh, you know, audio and speech sort of processing. And it's been about two and a half years since we've been like started embarking on this problem. And uh, it's been very, very interesting. Well, I think it's really, um, it's interesting, like, you know, as an outsider like yourself to kind of come, you've identified an age old problem here in the hearing healthcare space, which is uh, kind of the cocktail effect, right? Like the cocktail party effect where 
a lot of people um, might not even really register on an audiogram as having hearing loss in a quiet setting, but then you stick them in a room um, with a whole bunch of noise uh, in, in other people conversating and you're left with um, this feeling of like, I can't really hear what people are saying around me. It's hard to isolate a single speaker, which is the speech and noise uh, issue that I think has been this quest that so many have embarked on to try to solve. Um, and, and so I think that we're at this time now, you know, just from doing this podcast and um, trying to really kind of understand the, the underlying innovation that's taking place right now with the devices, what's becoming capable as uh, artificial intelligence, as much of a buzzword as that seems, is really starting to have an effect on the ways in which these devices can um, circumvent like old challenges in that. It, do, it does feel in a way that we're sort of at this advent of maybe the technology is at the point where it can sort of overcome some of these challenges. Andy, for from your perspective, as somebody that um, has hearing loss, you wear hearing aids, um, what are your thoughts as it relates to this whole uh, idea of like the cocktail party and, and how we could solve it? Well, speech and noise is really the key issue at all levels of hearing loss. And you'll hear everybody in the industry talking about it. And you see people constantly working on next generation devices to give even incremental improvements of one or two or three dB of apparent signal to noise ratio improvement to attack the cocktail party problem. I think there are really a couple of angles here and you alluded to one of them. I've been reading research on the accuracy of self-reported hearing loss which turns out to be not that good. And that has implications for OTC because if people don't recognize they have hearing loss when they're milder and only recognize it when it's more severe, that kind of undercuts the premise of OTC. But uh, more related to what we're talking about here, there are also people who report hearing difficulties but measure normally on an audiogram. Uh, Brent Edwards has talked about this too. And these studies are all turning that up. And so there is no hearing aid solution for a person like that. However, being able to improve speech in noise without amplification probably will do a better job helping those people enjoy social situations uh, more so than any amplification-based hearing device would do. And so, John, can you kind of like walk us through how your technology works, you know, in terms of um, from the genesis of, you know, my voice and the sound that it's transmitting to how it gets filtered through, you know, your processors and all that, and then how it ultimately reaches the, the recipient on the other end, just kind of give us a sense of like how this works. Yeah, sure. Um, to, to start, I'll give you like a small taste of how, what the current paradigm is. So there's sort of two approaches. There's classic signal processing, right? Uh, where you're doing various different compression techniques and you're doing various different uh, filters like bandpass filters that focus on like the speech uh, frequency bands, right? And, and filter out the bands that are associated with certain types of noise. Um, the second approach to the classical approach is a sort of beamforming approach, right? And so you have two microphones um, or more microphones on, on hearing aids um, and, and you're basically trying to steer these microphones in the direction of uh, where the, the most important sound is coming from, right? But it's not discerning what is the most important sound. It's basically just saying, okay, well, I need a cone of listening right in front of me, um, which is fine if you're facing the person, it does okay. 
but if you're stepped back from that person or if they're off to the side of you, it's, it's very difficult. And so we took a different approach to, um, you know, solving this problem, which is coming at it from a, a DNN deep neural network, or as we recurrent neural network sort of approach. Um, and these are very different than those two um, sort of approaches in that you're not just altering presets of the hearing aid and you're not just manipulating the microphone, right? So you're in a noisy situation and you're talking to someone. Um, you have audio that goes into the microphone of your earpiece, right? You take that signal, you do a transform on it, right? And it puts it into a bunch of frequencies, right? And then you have the AI, which is estimating which parts of those frequencies are noise and which parts are human speech. And so you train this algorithm to learn what is speech and what is noise on a, on a bunch of clean speech and a bunch of noisy speech um, in various different environments for various different speakers in many different languages. And then you start to get really good at filtering out uh, what is the noise and what is the speech. And then after you have the clean signal that has come out, you have to then reinvert it back into like the audio signal and then play it through the speaker um, all in about 10 milliseconds or eight milliseconds time. Um, and for a power budget that's going to be able to run all day on a tiny 100 milliamp hour earbud like we'd find in a, an AirPod or something like that. Um, and it's been very difficult for people to A, get an algorithm that's that efficient, right? Get an algorithm that's small enough that it can fit on the onboard memory on one of those AirPods or something, right? And then also get one that removes enough noise right? Get one that also doesn't distort the voice so badly that it's worse than listening in noise in the first place, right? And then you have to run that algorithm on something, right? And so even if you were able to make an algorithm that good, you still couldn't run it on a microcontroller or an ARM processor, for example, right? You'd either ruin your battery life in about 15 minutes, or you'd sort of, um, you know, just not have the computational power to run it. That's why you need the hardware and you need the software like together. Um, and so that's why we came at it with that approach. So it's, it's very different than, than the current paradigm. Um, so like Andy and, and I'm trying to kind of wrap my head around because it is, there's so much going on in such a micro amount of time, you know, that you're basically in my mind, you're taking, you know, this noise environment, you're, uh, capturing it, you're processing it and you're filtering it back to the person so that you filter out, you know, you've extracted the speech from the noise. Um, and you do that in a way where there's like no latency, you know, so that it, it feels like it's happening in real time, uh, which is, is almost like magic. Um, but I'm curious, Andy, from your perspective and in, in like from an engineer's mindset, what is, uh, you know, like historically, what what's made this so challenging? Um, like Jonathan said there, you know, kind of like the power consumption factor here, what else has historically been, um, part of the making this kind of like prohibitive? Yeah. So I think ultimately at macro level, it's about the processing power available that you can actually put in an earpiece. Now, if you think about the cocktail party problem, it's really that the noise is in the same frequency bands as the speech because the noise is a lot of other people speaking, echoing off the walls and everything else. And so there are always limitations in what classical audio filtering can do. And modern hearing aids do a really nice job within those limitations, being able to filter just so and using beamforming mics and so on. I mean, I can tell you personally, even having 
gone from one generation of uh, phone act hearing aid to another, that there was an improvement in speech and noise that came with it. But there's a limit when ultimately the noise you are trying to filter out is in the same bands as the speech you're trying to understand. So the newer techniques, such as what Femtosense is doing, is to simply, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, Jonathan, but you're almost rebuilding the signal. In other words, you're taking in the signal with much more advanced techniques able to extract out the speech and resend that out the speaker while leaving the noise behind, which is different than just filtering the signal as it goes through. That takes a tremendous amount of processing power. And one of the reasons why earlier attempts have not worked out well is running it on standard processors, very uh, power hungry way to do it. You almost have to have the processor designed specifically for this kind of application in order to do it efficiently. And we're now getting to the point where that is possible to do. This will really make a step change improvement in how speech is uh, extracted from noise. I, I think now is probably a good time to play some of these clips that you sent me, John, um, just so people get a sense of, of what this sounds like. So what we'll do is the first ones that you'll hear are uh, like just a, the, the standard recording, and then we'll go back to back with what it sounds like with the Femtosense technology applied to it. The robots don't look like they're actually working, like they don't have the parts, they're just kind of doing the dances, but this is unbelievable access. Like, like this is like the best marketing ever. Like everyone looks so hyped. The robots don't look like they're actually working, like they don't have the parts, they're just kind of doing the dances, but this is unbelievable access. Like, like this is like the best marketing ever. Like everyone looks so hyped. Aquí a que terminen las elecciones, haré lo posible y lo imposible porque este señor no llegue a la presidencia y por no quedarme callado y de la manera de aquí a que terminen las elecciones haré lo posible y lo imposible porque este señor no llegue a la presidencia y por no quedarme callado y de la manera um so you guys probably heard in the clips like you know you have a sort of really noisy background situation in like a factory and it does really good it does a, a good job at removing the sort of like non-steady state uh, background noise but then you also heard a clip of like some glass clanking right which can be really high frequency uh impulse sounds that could be very painful for uh hearing aid users um, as, you're, as you're probably aware so reducing the intensity of those sounds while still allowing the user to be aware of their surroundings um is is like a really big plus point so not only increasing the intelligibility of speech and noise, but just making hearing aids more comfortable in general. Yeah, no, I think that's a great point to make there um, in really cool clips. I mean, it's a, it's definitely a compelling use case. Um, and so for me, like where my head's at is, um, you know, how does this kind of come to fruition within this market? You know, are you all building a standalone product? Are you partnering? Is this something that you can use to augment, um, you know, existing manufacturers, uh, device ecosystem, just kind of like walk me through your go-to-market strategy more or less. Yeah, definitely. So like I mentioned before, we have this huge repository of algorithms, and then we also have like custom silicon that we build. It's just a coprocessor chip. And this coprocessor like sits on a system on chip. Like, so if you have a hearing aid system or you have an AirPod system or something like that, this chip is 
implemented like on top of that system. You can either implement that as like an actual discrete chip, or you can implement that directly into that sort of SOC as um, as an IP block, right? So there's a couple of different ways if you're a product manufacturer to do it. There's directly partnering with those people, um, with the, the product manufacturers, selling them an entire solution. Like we have the algorithm, we have the chip, like here's how you put it into your system, like add the functionality. There's also the suppliers to the hearing aid and earbud companies that build Bluetooth SOCs or earbud SOCs. Um, we're also partnering with those companies so that when you purchase an SOC for a hearing aid, it already has that functionality built in. There's no integration effort on the part of uh, the product manufacturer. So there's a couple of different ways to go to market that way. We have people interested running just our algorithm on their own hardware. And like we have people that are interested in, in our hardware and they want to run their own speech enhancement algorithm or they want to run their own sound event detection algorithm or something. And so like our software development kit uh, is pretty standard in the in the industry that just allows people to build these special models and in, in, in the way that runs most efficiently on the chip. So they can do all their algorithm development and you know the the most common standard uh, ML frameworks like you know PyTorch or TensorFlow, um, and then really just deploy it down to the chip super super easily, um, and then rapidly prototype and iterate so that they can get the best performance. And then if you need to send an update to the user, you have a brand new model that works well. You just send a you just send an update and download the the software. So, so ultimately, the easiest way to implement this for say a true wireless earbud manufacturer would be to take your silicon, your software as a unit incorporated into the device, which makes it really interesting because you're now bringing this high level of speech and noise extraction to a device which isn't a hearing device at all. And it makes me curious because if you take a person, uh, in, and I haven't dove into any studies that might have been done, but it seems to me that if you have a person who's in that milder end of hearing loss, where they can understand people, you know, well enough, really well in quiet situations, but they have difficulty hearing people in a cocktail party. With this solution, and do you have any data to show that this solution, without any amplification at all, will give real improvement uh, to people in loud situations versus nothing? Yeah, great question. Uh, so right now we're uh, building a study with a major university to run this exact clinical sort of setting test. And so you have a user that's sitting in a, in a controlled environment with a bunch of background noise, and then you'll have a speaker, very controlled, you know, and then you'll say, okay, well, you'll wear these headphones or you'll wear these earpieces, and then no gain is sort of applied to that. Um, and you'll say, okay, how many words did you get correct in this uh, scenario? And then we'll run the enhancement scenario uh, where we send our algorithm and then they'll see how many words they get right there. We'll compare it to like, here's just a straight pass through. Here's like the traditional hearing aid algorithms of, of today. And then here's our algorithm and ultimately compare those results. And so right now I'm in the middle of designing that study uh, with a, a postdoc. Um, and you're going to so run that at different levels of hearing loss, correct? Yeah, exactly. And you can even uh, in the hearing aid model, scenario, you can have uh, custom uh, settings for each individual user. So if you're in the study, you can run an audiogram, right? And then get their custom. So you're like, this is the best possible fit uh, for, for this person in this hearing scenario. 
and then there's compared to us. Okay. It's really interesting because it's almost the anti-OTC, if you will. In other words, yeah. uh, a true wireless company who implements this, if it proves effective you know, for mild to moderate hearing loss and, and really bringing recognition rates up, they can honestly say that this is not a hearing aid. We're simply eliminating the background noise so you can enjoy yourself at a party. They can totally step away from all the stigma-inducing discussions about hearing loss and offer a device which does nothing more than allow you to hear the speech as against all the background noise. It's a fascinating area. You know, one of the reasons why I wonder how OTC per se will actually do and how much will it be overrun by newer technologies like this at the milder end of hearing loss. Yeah, I mean, I think that it's, uh, you, you make such a good point there because it is, you know, it's like, imagine this future where you have the professional that's just equipped with, you know, we've often talked about like, what will the cheaters equivalent be in the hearing healthcare industry? And it very well could be something like this, where it's a device that's specifically designed for speech and noise. It doesn't even amplify. And, you know, it's, so it's very situational. It's just another solution that exists for people. And, and I think to your point, Andy, it's like, maybe, you know, I think one of the one of the ways that we could eventually move past the stigmatization of hearing aids is that you have all kinds of new devices that do different things and hearing aids are just one type of device that can augment your your hearing abilities if you will yeah absolutely if if a milder end speech and noise is enough to satisfy people in the situations where they have difficulty great in you know moderate to severe and beyond in hearing loss you're going to need professional assistance. You're going to need a, an audiologist and a hearing aid properly fitted, but that hearing aid will perform even better with a solution such as this one uh, also incorporated. So it's really, as this technology develops and grows, I think at all levels of hearing loss, people win. So as we come to the close here, one last question I have, it's kind of a, just a free for all. Anybody can answer it and you can both answer it, but I'm just curious, like, a, you know, kind of like as the layman's perspective on this and trying to kind of wrap my head around, you know, why now and what's different, what's changed, what's enabling this, you know, help me to understand here in October of 2022, what's transpired Jonathan in the last year or two, that's like, this is an enabler. You know, like, uh, have there been underlying breakthroughs in the technology, in machine learning, in deep neural nets, these things that have enabled your company to exist? I mean, um, you know, is there is there something that you can specifically cite or a handful of things that you would say are the keys to, like, why this is now becoming feasible? Yeah. In machine learning in general, it's always been this chicken and egg between, like, oh, we have this algorithm, but no hardware to run it. And then we have powerful hardware, but we don't have an algorithm that's performing well enough. And so I think it's advancement on, on both of those fronts. It's having a powerful enough and an efficient enough processor that can run the most state-of-the-art algorithms. And only now recently have algorithmic advances gotten to the point where you, know, you can get great performance and even running on the most efficient hardware, is it going to be enough, right? And so we've made pretty big strides on the hardware side and then also big strides on the algorithm side as well. Like not getting into too much technical detail, but 
you know, when you really apply these tenets of sparsity, which we're all about, it's like, oh, well, now you don't have to do as many computations, right? You can get the same problem done with far fewer computations. And those computations that you do have to do, now you can do them more efficiently on the hardware. And so I think both of those things paired together is really like the perfect storm uh, for, for making this a possibility. I don't think you could do it with just the hardware and these not these regular off-the-shelf algorithms. And I don't think you could do it with just our algorithm without the hardware. Uh, and maybe I'm a little biased, but uh, yeah. And really what I, you're I saying some... is if you can do it with fewer computations, that means lower battery drain. Yeah. Exactly. So when you think about an ordinary TWS earbud with say eight hours battery life, if I take your silicon and your algorithms, apply it to that earbud and run the algorithm say full time, what's the effect on battery life? Yeah, so we did a study where we compared it to uh, an ARM M7 processor running the same algorithm. If you ran our algorithm on the M7, you'd get about 30 minutes of battery life. It also get pretty hot too. But um, And then if you took uh, our algorithm and you ran it on our hardware, um, you're looking at multiple days of battery life, I guess. So you would be dominated uh, by the speaker energy of the, the thing, right? You'd be dominated by the microphone energy. So hitting that benchmark of eight hour or 10 hour battery life for someone who wants to wear these all day uh, is very, very attainable. So meaning it's a very, very small percentage of the total power budget of everything else running on the earbud. And I wouldn't really notice a life reduction running exactly. your complete package on an earbud. Okay. Exactly. And to your point about reducing the number of computations, yeah, you can drive the power way down or all of that free time that you're not spent doing computation on the chip, you can now run other things on top of it, right? So if you want to identify whether or not I was heavy breathing or I had how many coughs did I have throughout the day, right? How many sighs did I have? What can I infer about this user, about their health, about running algorithms for your heart rate in a PPG sensor or running, you know, even in-ear EEG, you have companies like iDun, right, that are making the in-ear EEG sensor for tracking where your eyes go. Um, and, and so when you have that processing power available, you can both run the speech enhancement, but you can run all of those cool things as well. And to geek out just for a second and give you a taste of like what we have in development is like, you'll be able to run the speech enhancement algorithm, run all of those biosignal processing things, right? And then the outputs of those biosignal processing things can be used to like get you this total health score, right? And then inform uh, these higher level models about what behaviors and changes you can make in your life. And you can even go as far as like mute certain sounds if you train the algorithm to learn like, oh, this is baby crying. You can go to the app on your phone and be like, I want to hear baby crying and I want to hear this, but I don't want to hear glass breaking because that hurts. And I don't want to hear TV in the background. And, you know, I don't want to hear my dog. I don't want to hear my son. Like, so <laughs> it's, it's really cool what you can do. And you're really limited by your imagination and uh, your, your ability to create these algorithms. The processing power is there. The tools are there. It's just open up for the engineers to really come up with, like, what can they do? So let me ask you a related question then, because now you're putting a chip with a ton of processing power in a earbud, and there are companies working on an app ecosystem, uh, Bragi for one and Sonical for another. And I'm kind of going back to the article I wrote for World Hearing Day, where I supposed in the end that when hearables have a true app store, then you're going to be able to load all these different apps in. 
you know, whether on subscription basis or what have you, including amplification amps you get from third parties, which is going to short circuit the OTC. Uh, <laughs> but more generally, I could get health apps, I could get sleep apps, I could, you know, get, um, you know, uh, uh, EEG monitoring apps and use EEG signals to control different things, all this sort of thing. How close do you think your silicon and technology is to being able to support a true hearables app ecosystem? As far as integration, uh, those companies that you mentioned and even some other ones that are building that OS and some white label goods, like been talking to them since like the very beginning and I'm sitting on our electronics lab bench right now that I can tell you has a number of different development kits on it and just wires hanging everywhere. But I think we're very close in that regard. It's a matter of like, how are we going to implement this? right? The technology is all there. It's come down to the details of like, okay, uh, where's this actually going to sit on the chip? And, uh, you know, how, how is this going to be hooked up, which all of the pieces are there. It's a, it's a matter of doing it now at this point. And then reality of the situation, like what are these business terms are going to be, but, you know, we want to get tech out in the world and we want to get it out there quickly. So I think it's right around the corner. And while we have a vested interest in also selling our algorithms, we want to open it up for people to build their own and, and ultimately serve like the end uh, user of like the earphones, right? I don't think you can overestimate the impact this will have. Think about mobile phones before the smartphone came, okay? What do you do with a mobile phone, all right? Okay, the other day I was sitting on our screen porch and I heard a bird I'd never heard before. I whipped out my phone, I started the Merlin app, let it listen, it told me what the bird was, right? What phone maker would think to build a bird call analysis, you know, uh, program in a feature phone, right? They wouldn't do it, okay? All of the innovation in mobile phones has come because they opened up the app ecosystem for anybody to develop on. Now, the same thing is coming to hearable devices. And, you know, in everywhere, including the hearable or the hearing world, this is going to change everything because people are going to be able to experiment and develop and release hearing-related algorithms of increasingly more sophistication, uh, increasingly better performance in certain scenarios, along with all the other apps and, and health features and so on. It isn't up to the hearable maker to try and figure out what's best. Right. They simply have to provide comfort, good sound quality, good battery life, a sensor package that's accurate, and let the app developers have at it. That's going to change everything. Hey, uh, one more thing. So we're going to be uh, giving a number of demos at CES 2023. Um, so come and stop by our booth, and then you can, you can always come by our, our suite, and we'll have a, a bunch of demos going up there as well. Um, but if you want to hear this sort of speech enhancement live in person on the show floor with all this background noise going, uh, definitely come by and see FemtoSense. Uh, I don't know which booth we are yet, but uh, I'm sure you can be able to find it on there. Okay, awesome. Well, thank you so much, Jonathan, Andy. Great to have you on. First time being here uh, as our Futurity. Um, looking forward to seeing you at Audacity in a few weeks. Um, and Jonathan, I'm sure this won't be the last time you're on the show as well. So with that, uh, everybody, thanks for tuning in here to the end and we will chat with you next time. Cheers.